Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. God put this message on my heart, and I I was really kind of trying to figure out what, not what the point of it is, but how to, because, you know, you want it to come down to something that you can actually apply. And so here's, here's what I think the biggest thing to get out of this message today is very simply an adjustment that you make in your mind when you're praying for yourself and when you're praying for other people. So we're talking a little bit about prayer today, talking a little bit about Christ being our sacrifice, but this mindset that we can live within that's rooted in the idea that he is not holding our sin against us and he has commissioned us to go into the world and tell people God is not holding your sin against you because of what Jesus did for you. Now, it's free. You, the, the path is clear for you to go to God. You don't have to come with a goat, a dove, a bull. You don't have to come with your, your, your uh, apology because that's what some people say repentance is. You come with an open heart in recognition of what Jesus did, and that is the way to connect with the Father. There's nothing any longer in between us and the Father except what's going on in our minds. Do you realize that? And see, people don't know that. Even people that have been churched for a very long time sometimes are the worst ones. We carry all this. we we, We put the law back on ourselves. All right, so here's what I want to look at today. And like I said, I want to get a little bit technical because you have the opportunity to pray for people. And I want you to understand this slight mechanic, adjustment, heart posture, whatever you want to call it, to understand as you're praying for yourself and as you're praying for other people. So let's look at James 5, um, 13 through 16, prayer. This is a shift in your prayer. So I'm not really looking to teach any specific doctrine per se, but we're going to apply some identity knowledge and we're going to apply some of the power that's in us and look at prayer and how we treat the world because we are God's representatives on this planet right now and we carry his power. Now, this is how you process certain things, right? Uh, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. How many of you pray when you're in trouble? How how many of you only pray when you're in trouble? (laughs) Thank you for that honesty. Appreciate that. Is, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Interesting, right? A natural way for you as a believer to express your happiness is to sing a song of praise. Now, if your heart doesn't understand natural expressions of who God is in you, that happiness might be filtered through your old nature or your, you know, the dead man thinking that old nature's cut away and gone, but the thinking that you used to have. Because some people, for them, when they start feeling happy, the only time they used to ever feel happy was when they were going to go party. And so you start feeling happy and you start feeling kind of good and you start looking for the bottle. Or you start looking for a way, an unnatural way to express that happiness, right? 
And so, and so that's part of this transformative process. When you're feeling joy and happiness, sing a song. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? If you feel this happiness and you recognize that, you know, um, there's certain things that happen. Like I've heard a lot of preachers struggle with this. They'll preach and then struggle with temptation after they preach. It's like you feel this expression of God move through you and a sense of fulfillment, but then this temptation comes right behind it. And then, you know, people mysticize that and they say, well, you see, the devil is just trying to come. And Well, whatever. I mean, sure, he's going to come. Of course he's going to come. I mean, uh, you don't have to listen to him. You realize that, right? He only has as much power as you give him. That's right. And he doesn't even have that. He has as much power as your willingness to believe his lies. So there's a natural way to express things. Uh, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean be healed in Jesus' name. You just tack in Jesus' name on the end of it as if that's some magical prayer. What it's talking about is when you pray, you pray with the authority of Jesus. You are representing your God and your King and you carry his authority, you have the right to decree and to declare into this earth what he has deemed legal through his authority. Amen. And that is for you to pray for sick people. Amen. Amen? Amen? So when you pray, it's not you. It's him moving through you. If you pray for people and you're worried about the results, you think it's you praying for them. You know, one thing I like to do is, is just make sure that in my heart and in my mind when I'm praying for people, I see the hands of Christ or, or I'm aware that it's really God. I'm just, an, I'm just an advocate in this moment, helping them connect with God, right? Um, so in the power and the authority of the Lord, verse 15. Now, these next two verses are kind of where I'm going to get a little bit technical. Y'all want to get technical today? All right. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Not might, not maybe, will. Now, this is not a message about healing. Healing is a byproduct of what I'm actually talking about today. So let's keep going. The Lord will raise them up. Who? The Lord. The Lord. Now, when it says raise them up, you know, there are certain words that we hear and we automatically think certain thoughts. It's not talking about raising the dead as much as it is raising life up within them. It's the Lord that causes that life to come up within them. And it's up to them. It's almost like you're just trying to get them to appreciate the beauty and the authority of God. You know, it's like you're there kind of just, just helping them open up their heart to experience what it is that God wants for them. Amen? All right, so this is, this is interesting, and this is where we're going. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, how do people get forgiven? That's right. You place your faith in Christ. Christ is the substitution for you. All of your sin and the sin of the world was put on him and in him. He absorbed it. He took the penalty and the wrath from God towards sin in him. And if you put your faith in him, you approach God in him because he has, is clean and holy and pure before the Father. In him, so are you. So it's a substitution. You are forgiven by faith in what he did for you. It's his work for you 
that, that presents the opportunity for you to be forgiven, right? Okay. That doesn't change. There's no other way for forgiveness to come. So you have to understand that. That's why understanding the finished work of... See, th that's, a, that's a good example of filtering Scripture through the understanding of the finished work of Christ. Otherwise, you can put weird things on top of that. Are you with me? All right, so if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. We're talking about praying for people. Next verse in 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, I've heard this applied where it's like, um, I'm going to confess my sin to Manny and I'm going to pray for him so that I can be healed. And this is more of a collective that James is saying. Y'all pray for one another so y'all can be healed, you know. This is where be, him being Southern would make a little bit more sense. <laughs> y'all pray for each other so y'all can be healed, right? And we've... We, anyway, you see the point. Now, this is where we're going. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How do you get righteous? That's right. He gives you that free gift of righteousness. When you look at him and you say, I have nothing, I can do nothing, but in him I am accepted with the Father. That is how you receive the free gift of righteousness. Now, does that mean you can run out and sin and just everything's going to be hunky-dory? No. Why would you want to? All right, so this is what we're looking at. They, they will be forgiven and the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now look at this example. This is the example of a righteous, powerful person that prays, verse 17. So he's like, he, he tells you the, the point, and then he gives an illustration of it. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Wow. That's right, wow. Verse 18. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Wow. Now, watch this. This is interesting because translations uh, are all over the place in certain areas. And now this verse is probably one of the most uh, scattered verses that I've seen in all the different translations. Now... Because we hear the King James says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And our definition of fervent is what? Passionate, loud, you know, excited. And then so you get these charismatics that think fervent, I got to pray. The louder I pray, the harder, woo! <laughs> and it turns into that. Now, if you do the woo when you pray, that's fine. But it ain't the woo. It makes it powerful. If you whip yourself up into an emotional frenzy, that is not what is making the Spirit of God powerful. Are you with me? Emotionalism is not necessarily spiritualism. All right. So look at these. I just copied out several verses or several translation of this. Now, I don't know if you can see it, um, but I'm just going to read the second part. Most of you have heard it this way, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? That's how you've heard it. Look how other people have translated it. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the version that we're reading. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 
Now, I'm not necessarily going to say that any of these are wrong and any one is right, but what you get is you get a broad understanding of what these words are, uh, specifically around the idea of the effectual fervent, that's one word, uh, and availeth much is another word, and based on what the definitions of those are, you get all these different translations. I told you I was going to get technical. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, stay with me here. Next one, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Interesting, right? Now, just kind of open up. I don't want you to drill down. You're not looking for some minute detail to make things to figure it out. You're just kind of, okay, we're going to look at a big picture of this concept, right, of prayer being powerful from the heart of a righteous person. Uh, the prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. Next one. The prayer of a righteous man being made effective prevails much. What makes someone righteous? Faith in him, right? You've placed your faith in him. You've received that free gift of righteousness. He gives you his righteousness. Don't forget that. Because we start thinking somebody, well, just watch. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Here's another one. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. I like that one. Next one. Um, the prayer of an innocent person is powerful, and it can help a lot. <laughs> okay. Notice the word innocent. That is part of the definition of righteous, innocent. How are you made innocent? Because Jesus was guilty for you, okay? Uh, the prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. <clears throat> the urgent request of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. That's not, you know, urgent request. Sometimes we panic in our request, don't we? I mean, is this interesting? All right. Um, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. Uh, for the continual prayer of a just man, so righteous, just, innocent, they've all been lifted out and, and put in this particular translation of half of a verse here. We're just reading half of a verse in all these different perspectives. For the continual prayer of a just man availeth much. Uh, the fervent supplication of the righteous man has much power. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. Was that the last one, or is there one more? One more. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This one's interesting. The heartfelt supplication of a righteous man exerts a mighty influence. To me, that's somebody that understands the interactive aspect of what it's talking about. You know, a lot of times you read Scripture and it's doctrine. And there are some people that read Scripture to understand doctrine, but they don't get or understand the application of that doctrine. 
And so when you start talking to them about what they think are contradictions and you talk to them about, okay, well, what does it look like to apply that doctrine? You know, this sounds more like application to me. Somebody that's under, and so that is the W-E-Y-M-O-U-T-H, Weymouth New Testament. The heartfelt supplication of a righteous man exerts a mighty influence. I like that. That sounds like grace to me. Grace is an influence, God's divine influence in your heart, right? The insistent prayer of a righteous person is powerfully effective. Uh, And then the Young's is, if you're not familiar with the Young's literal translation, it's like translated from Greek directly to English without reworking it into an intelligible sentence. Be confessing to one another the trespasses and be praying for one another that you may be healed. Very strong is a working supplication of a righteous man. So I'm going to end it with that one. The heartfelt supplication of a righteous man exerts a mighty influence. All right. The word righteous there that they translate as righteous, innocent, and just, it does mean those things. But the primary definition is observing, one that observes divine laws. Now, what does that make you think of? What are divine laws? Let's just, I'll ask you this. What are Jesus' laws? Love God, love people. That's what it sounds like to me. What other divine laws are there to observe? Those are fruits. But for you to observe, what law, divine law, can you keep as a righteous person? Love God, love people. All right? I'm tell, I told you it's going to get a little bit technical here. We're kind of building, so stay with me. Um, <clears throat> Now let's look at Romans 8, Romans 8, 1, I'm going to read 1 through 4 and then 10 through 13. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. I wish the church knew that. Because Christ Jesus, the law, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now... I'm going to jump back up to James 5.15. James 5.15. They will be forgiven. The word forgiven there is aphimame. Say that with me. Aphimame. That's the Greek original word. And it means, you know, forgiven. We think we, we have forgiveness so attached to apologizing to God. But the actual word forgiven means this. Leave, let go, or sent away. So for you to be forgiven means that your sin has been sent away. It has left you. Uh, the root word for aphimame is means to separate. So when you're forgiven, you are separated from your sin. And your sin, as it was separated was placed into Christ, and he absorbed it and exhausted any effect and power on you. And so then you look here in uh, Romans uh, Romans 8 again, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free 
from the law of sin and death. Amen. Now, that's an, that, is, that is an effect of being forgiven. Your sin has been separated from you. You have been delivered or you have uh, the, the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is not saying you can just sin and get away with it because the, the law of sin and death no longer applies to you. That's, that's not what it's talking about. Sowing and reaping is still in effect. So, but remember, we're talking about praying for people. The righteous, effective prayer of you availeth much, and if, there's, if, they are, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven or their sin is separated from them. How was their sin separated from them? To their faith in Christ. Not you doing it. Remember when Jesus told his disciples that you have the power to forgive? What he was telling is you have the power to help people understand that they are separated. I am God now views them separately from their sin. All right, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weak by, weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Sin offering. I mean, it, you know, there's the depth of understanding Christ as your sin offering is endless. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. When you're praying for people, when a powerful, when a righteous person, a person that knows their right standing with God is praying for someone, it's effective and it's powerful unto them being healed. And if they've sinned, it leaves them. It is separated from them. The effect of that sin is removed from them. Part of what you're doing when you're praying for people is you're helping them experience having been separated from their sin, therefore the effects of that sin. Now, that might be physical healing. That might be emotional healing. Are you with me? When you pray for people, the context in your mind, one of the big things that people don't know is that they're forgiven. And as you're praying for them, part of the effect of you knowing who you are in Christ, as you're praying for them, helps them experience the reality of being separated from their sin. And then people can receive from God. Are you with me? Again, we're just looking at a technicality here of, of your approach to prayer for other people and yourself. Verse 4 in order that the righteous, so Jesus was our sin offering, in order that the righteous requirement of the law be fully met in us. <laughs> Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then he goes through there and he says, the way that you live according to the Spirit is to think that way. It's about what's going on in your mind. He never, he never even addresses actions in these next couple of verses. And then he says, Here's how you know that you're in the Spirit. You've talked about being in the Spirit. You've heard teaching about we're going to be... I was, just, I was just in the Spirit. Well, it says the way that you know that you are in the Spirit is if the Spirit's in you. Is the Spirit in you? Yes. You're in the Spirit. Amen. Pretty simple, right? Verse 10, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Not just talking about physical healing, talking about emotional healing, talking about connecting with peace, talking about being free from the religion that was placed on you when you were younger, talking about being free from the guilt and the shame of the sin 
that you might still be dragging around because God is not looking at you through that. And the more that you can convince people of that heart of God toward them, the more they can let go of that sin and the less it drives their behavior. I mean, it's, it's, it's really powerful what we get to do for people in helping them experience these divine laws, God's love, loving, loving God and loving people. All right, so verse 11, and if the Spirit who raised... So if the, and if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, is He? Think, think about that for just a minute. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. God in heaven looks down, sees Jesus in the grave. It's time to resurrect Him. What, what does that exchange look like? What happens between the Father and the Son when He's in the grave, cut off, dead in your sin, and he comes alive in spirit and then back into his body and then ascends as king forever. That's in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, in context, he's attaching this to there being no condemnation for you and Jesus being your sin offering. So then, therefore, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, and the effect is life. Now, when you pray for people, be thinking about this. Amen. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, not to the flesh, in other words, to keep the law, but to the Spirit. The Spirit will teach you to live way more righteous and holy than any rule written in stone could ever be, could ever do. Are you with me? I gave you a warning. All right, here we go. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So sowing and reaping. But if, the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. How do you do that? How do you put, de- put to death the misdeeds of the body? It's a process. It's a repentant process. It's a remembering that Jesus was put to death for you. For those actions, those misdeeds of the body, you have to see them as having been separated from you and put in Him, and He became that. And if you continue in that, there is no more sacrifice, but you're just expecting the condemnation. Now, God won't condemn you. Even though you're expecting it, it ain't coming. You you use it to separate yourself from him. He's not looking for a reason to separate. He can't. This is what we help people. And I'm not just saying you sit there and you preach to somebody the gospel. You might need to do that. You might need to help people understand that they're forgiven. See, religion would say, let me convince you that you're a sinner. Do you realize how dark, dirty, mean, and cold and evil you are? Do you? Do you? Do you? Okay, now, now, let me tell you how God loves you. What? That's what the church does, doesn't it? You ever seen it done that way? You ever done it that way? Got to convince them they're a sinner. Then we can convince them that God loves them. Now watch this. All of that, we're going to kind of, I'm going to try and put it all together here. Uh, This is what the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man looks like. Ready? Mark 1, verse 29. This is Jesus. 
As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. The word left her is the same word as the word uh, when it says, if they have sinned, um, they will be forgiven. It's the same word, left. They will be forgiven, left. So when he prayed for her, the effects of her sin left her. I mean, only the Holy Spirit can make that make sense to you. Like you're looking at me waiting for me to give you some big thing, you know. You kind of got to let the Holy Spirit then show you what it looks like from there. What we get to do for people is bring them into this connection with the Father through prayer, whether it be going for physical healing, whether it be going for, for deliverance from addiction, whether it be go, go be get up from a generational lie that they've been holding in their hearts and their minds for so long, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, you're trying to get them to a place where they will let go of the effects of that sin in their mind and in their heart. They will quit judging themselves. They will quit feeling the condemnation of that thing. You're not making excuses for it. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't say, I realized you're a dirty sinner, but it's okay. No, it doesn't look like that. It looks like this. Do you realize what Jesus did for you? Now, I have a power in me, and I can pray for you and with you, and that power will do things in you. Amen. But in your heart... You must let go of that guilt and that shame and that condemnation. That's, and I'm telling you, I really feel like that's one of the biggest things that keeps people from experiencing what God has for them, whether it be peace, physical healing, financial provision, whatever it is that's in Christ. I mean, he said, I will meet all your needs according to, or he will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. He is a provider. People that constantly struggle with money, you know, there, there's an issue there. And you get them to connect with who God is, that He is a provider, they may not be able to trust that if they're looking at their behavior. And so then we ruin communion with that issue. We tell people, come on in, we're going to have communion today. But if you sin this week, don't take communion. If that's the, if that's the uh, stipulation, then none of us should ever take communion because the definition of sin is anything that's not of faith. That, that's the standard, right? So prayer is, it's more than just God show up and do something, please. And it's more than just where we go a little bit deeper and realize, okay, you've given me power to actually release your life you know, I pray for people sometimes, and I'll feel this. I just feel this thing. I, I understand what Jesus meant when the woman touched him, and he said, who touched me? I felt virtue leave me. You know, I, I've felt that before, and pretty miraculous things happen when I have felt it. It doesn't make me special. It just means, wow, Jesus did it. I've experienced it as well, right? One of your primary tools in your bag to pray for people is helping them understand the forgiveness that they have in Christ. And the way that you crack that door open is you love them. Amen. 
the prayer of a righteous man. A righteous man is someone who is operating divine laws. There are only two. Love God, love people. When you love, I mean, you want to see people healed? Love people. You want to see people set free from deception? Love people. You want to see people set free from division? Love people. Unity is powerful. The body of Christ has a lot of work to do to show this world what a united body looks like. Above politics, above the constructs of this world, united in heart in a family. Our love for one another. And and that's really what it comes down to. You want to see your prayers effective. You want to see when you pray, things in your life change, and you want to see things in other people's lives change. Now, I get it. This life is not always going to work out. Things happen. We lose people. We lose things. It's just still the, the effects of sin and death are still here. There's still war going on. There's still injustice happening. Disease, all of that stuff. I'm not trying to say we can eradicate everything. One day Jesus will. Praise God. But it's almost like he's given us this picture. I'll I'll finish it with this. This was I woke up, I think, Tuesday, and it was like this download. You ever get a download from God? It's like and then you understand everything perfectly. (laughs) Well, at least that subject. And then you forget it. Are you with me? I, some, I tried to make a deal with God. I'm like, look, do that when I'm awake, please, because you know, sometimes I'm just too lazy to get up and go write this down. But I got up, and I did it, thankfully. And it was, it, it was this, and I'm just going to try to give you this picture, right? And it was in terms of prayer. Now, this is, I'm not necessarily lifting this out of Scripture. I'm just, I'm just giving you what I felt like God showed me in, in regard to prayer. And it, it's like... Uh, we are his builders and workers and co-laborers in this earth. He's the master builder. He has a blueprint. He has a plan, and he is building that here. Now, one day, it's just going to be completely renewed, but in the process, there is something being built, and we are participants in that. We are the laborers in this earth working with him, executing the plan of our master builder, right? And so what we do is we look to the blueprint, that our master builder has laid out for us, and we see the blueprint, and that blueprint is heaven because that's where we're going. That's ultimately what's being built. The kingdom of God has come near and is being established in this earth and is increasing and will continue to increase until it takes over everything. Now, we get a little self-important in that increase process, so I don't want to, you know, I just heard some weird things taught about that. But primarily, it's love. Knowing who you are, loving God, loving people. So prayer, I saw this, is this. You look at a situation on this earth, and you realize, I need to pray. That person needs prayer. Lord, I need help. I'm going to pray. Prayer needs to happen right now in some way. What you do, you look to the blueprint of heaven, and you take that issue, and you filter it through, what is this issue going to look like in heaven? What would this issue look like if Jesus were standing in front of it and he was having to deal with it and relate to it? Now, that might mean persecution in this earth, but it also might mean calming a storm, whatever it is that heaven would say about that, okay? So when you pray, you're not looking for some mystical answer. It's pretty evident what God wants. He 
made it perfect in the garden and it will be perfect in heaven. You look to that blueprint and you realize, okay, this, this is the goal. This is what I see happening. Now, I'm going to speak toward this dimension from that blueprint. And as I speak, that's a tool. I'm going to get my hammer and I'm going to start swinging my hammer to drive some nails. That's your tongue. That's your mouth. You are speaking. You are actually declaring into this earth the will of heaven, the will of God. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to make ice cream cones pop up in your hands for, you know what I mean? Like people meditate. You ever heard of that? Somebody meditate in ice You get the picture though, right? All right, let me pray. How do I pray? Heaven. Well, that don't look like heaven. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to pray this. I'm going to do, and I might, I might even need to do this as a follow-up of my prayer. But this is the goal. This is the, this, is the, this is the picture that I see. And so you have love, and you have uh, love knowing that God loves you and your love for people as your main primary tool because that's the only thing ultimately that's building that blueprint into this earth, right? Are you with me? Amen. So I, I really would love to see an increase in prayer. You know, I'm not really one that's big on intercession. I mean, I, I praise God for the people that are called to that. You know, a lot of intercessors carry way too much unnecessary weight. I mean, I understand feeling the emotion of the issue that you're praying for, but if you look at it from the perspective of heaven, you realize God is God's in a good mood. He is at peace. He is confident in His will. He is confident in His power. He is confident in His plan. And the more that you connect to His heart, do you feel that? the more you feel that, you let that rise up, you know, you kind of transition out of that charismatic-y thing of, I, I can't even really put it into words. I think you know what I'm talking about. Like, 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 you, like it's on you to fix the earth. No, you're just coming into agreement. You know, you're just, you're a block. You're a, you're a piece of the puzzle coming into agreement with your father, walking in love. Love is powerful. It's the only strategy that Jesus gave us to reach the world. Amen. The effect of our love for one another is the world looks at it and says, they must follow Jesus. I think I'm going to go ahead and decide to believe that God sent Jesus into this earth. That's what our love for one another does. Amen. And in that process, we get to help them experience deliverance, freedom. Oh, by the way, where it says uh, when you pray for them, they'll be saved. That's the word sozo. It means he or healed. It's actually vice versa in, in different passages. It's like, it's like healed in one passage and saved in another passage. That's because saved means healed. You know, I think we focus too much on one avenue of prayer. This person needs healing. Well, you know what? They might need healing, but what's underlying that is they may need to forgive their father. They may need to forgive themselves. They may need to understand 
the fact that their sin was actually placed on Jesus. They may need to, to grasp the concept that God has separated their sin from them. You know, there's, you kind of have to pay it. And, and we all get our favorite little methods, right? I mean, you know, this one is the forgiveness ministry. And this one is the let's get the demons out ministry. And this one is the <laughs> let's figure out what your emotions are and you're this and blah, blah. And it, it's like, I, I get if God calls you and gives you some ideas and methods and put those in place. That, that's fine. But don't fall in a ditch with them thinking everybody needs this. This is the path to healing for everybody. Well, not necessarily. That might be the path to walking away from the church forever <laughs> for somebody. They go to your thing. I don't, I don't want that. Love, right? It's good. Appreciate it. Love, love, love is, you know, I, I hate that when we hear that, it doesn't feel powerful. Like it doesn't feel like it's enough, but it is the only thing that works. It is the only strategy he gave us because of what he did for us. If we will let ourselves be fully convinced and saturated by what he did for us and then turn that toward the world in love, you will see amazing things happen when you pray for people. And it won't be from this thing of we need to, the church needs to be more powerful and the more miracles that we have, then the more the world will believe on Jesus because they'll see that impossible things can happen and it's like miracles will save the world or something like that. No, miracles will happen as you love people. Amen. As you carry the love of God to people, the side effect is miracles. Praise God for miracles. I want more miracles. But as a fruit of our love for one another and as a fruit of our love toward the world. Amen? When you pray for people, know who you are, and know that God has separated them from their sin and help them experience that freedom and that forgiveness. Sound good? Amen. Father, we thank you for the finished work of the cross. We thank you that we're forgiven. Just tell him, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you, God. you know, in, in your mind, I want you to get a picture of God having separated you from your sin and then your sin being sent away from you as far as the east is from the west, meaning it doesn't stop. There is no way that it could come back. Like, like see that picture. See that God has forgiven you. It's like he's put you in this spinning cycle thing and, you're, and you're, your sin has separated and he's cleansed you with the blood and that sin has been taken out and it's gone and he sends it away. It has left you. Just like the fever left that woman that Jesus prayed for, the effects of sin just leaves you. The guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the repetitive urge, the temptation. Once that thing is taken out of you and gone, it's gone. You're free and you're forgiven. And you're clean and you're clear and you're pure. Do you see that? Now, next time you're facing a temptation, I want you to see that. I want you to see that God, that there is no sin in who you actually are. You might have, in your thinking and in your actions, allowed the force of sin to come inside of you and start trying to wreak havoc and redefine who you think it that you are, but nope, you put it out of you. You put it out of you by remembering what he did for you, and you let it go. You're forgiven. Help others realize it too, amen? All right. Love you guys. Appreciate it. Awesome, brother.